This is Downtown the Podcast. Welcome to episode 16. How did that happen so fast? <laughs> Rich Kimball here, along with Carrie Haskell. I guess that means it's been about four months that we've been doing these, and well, it's been great fun for us to go back and revisit some conversations, repackage them, and and mostly uh, feature those from the the world of entertainment, actors, musicians, authors, and uh, we've had a great response from people. So, so far, so good with the podcast. And they add up because the saying goes, right, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, that's it. And we've got two really good ones this week, including our first guest to appear for a second time on the show, which speaks to how prolific he is. We're talking about writer John Connolly, who will be on with us in the second half of the podcast this week to talk about his latest book, The Woman in the Woods. Also coming up in just a moment, the talented actress Melanie Linsky, who appears in the new television series on Hulu, Castle Rock. First, we remind you that Downtown the Podcast is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength, and by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. Our first guest on the podcast has been acting since the age of 16 when she appeared in a Peter Jackson film. Since then, she's been acclaimed for a number of wide-ranging roles in both film and television. These days, starring in the Hulu adaptation of Stephen King works entitled Castle Rock, a really wonderful series. Also appeared on HBO's Togetherness with friend of downtown Mark Duplass. And we talked about uh, what she's doing these days and some of her outstanding performances through the years. Here's actress Melanie Linsky on downtown. I don't know if you know this, but our radio station is owned by Stephen King. And last week uh, we hosted a premiere of the first two episodes of Castle Rock. And Stephen was there to introduce the evening. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. That would have been so much fun. Well, let's talk about your character. Molly Strand in Castle Rock is, is so interesting, such a complex character. And it has to be fun for you as an actor, but also a great challenge. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing I was so excited about was just how challenging I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I Initially, I just read the pilot, and she's not in the pilot too much, so I, I had the next couple of episodes kind of explained to me, and then when I read them, it was beyond even what I had hoped for. It was so crazy and interesting. I felt very lucky. And I understand that you and everybody involved were pretty relieved and quite happy when you got the news that Stephen not only approved of the script, but was excited about it and liked what he had seen. Yeah, I I was very relieved about that. I mean, it, it's interesting because the pressure was kind of off in terms of, you know, the fact that we weren't making a straight adaptation, which is always a little bit scary. Um, but then you do hope, you know, it, it, it's so inspired by his work and I knew how much it would mean to Sam and Dusty, the creators of our show, to um, have Stephen's blessing. So I felt very, very relieved when he was okay with, with what he had seen. He liked it. But you've got some experience, too, with King's characters because you played Rachel in Rose Red. Yeah, I mean, that was, oh my gosh, so many years ago now. <laughs> um, but what a fun experience. And that was something that... Um, he wrote directly for the screen, so I got to really perform his work. That's so funny that you just brought up Rose Red because Emily Deschanel, who's one of my dear friends who I met on Rose Red, just texted me just this minute. <laughs> it's 
funny timing. Absolutely. Uh, the cast yeah. of Castle Rock is, is so amazing. Uh, Andre Holland is, is just delightful. Sissy Spacek, of course, Scott Glenn, uh, and Bill Skarsgård, who uh, was so good in it. Uh, just a mm-hmm. talented group to be with. Oh, my gosh. I The core cast is just so brilliant and so talented. So you really knew, you know, whenever I was going to work, I just knew no matter who my scene was with, it was going to be really fun and really challenging. And then not only that, but the actors that they brought in for supporting roles, like Alison Tolman, who plays my sister, and Noel Fisher, and the younger kids, you know, Khalil Harris is so good, and it really um, was an amazing, amazing group of people. I understand, though, uh, you, you shot for about six or seven months in Massachusetts, and uh, I hear it got a little cold toward the end of the shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from New Zealand, so I, I can handle a lot of rain because it never stops raining in New Zealand. <laughs> um, but very freezing cold I've never dealt with before, and we had an hour drive to work every day. And so, you know, you'd come out, you'd have to be at work at 5, so you'd have to leave at 4 a.m., and then you'd come out and have to completely, like, de-ice the car, which was a whole new experience for me. Oh, it was was very challenging, and I just had to keep reminding myself, I'm so lucky to be here. I love this job. Now, there's so many moments that leave you hanging in Castle Rock. Can you give us, no, you can't give us any spoilers. You can't tell us anything about what's coming, can you? No, I'd get in so much trouble. <laughs> well, we don't want that to happen, but we also want to talk about uh, some of your other work, and, and I, I'm so excited to talk with you about a, a television show that is one of my favorite of all time. Mark Duplass is a wonderful friend of the show. He comes on with us uh, quite a lot. Togetherness, uh, I think, is it's one of those oh. shows I feel like people will look back in a few years and say, how is it possible that lasted only two seasons? It was such a great show. That makes me want to cry. <laughs> That's so sweet. It was such a special, special one for me. I mean, it was a real dream job, and the Duplass brothers are so brilliant. And to get to get to work on that kind of material and then have such creative freedom. I mean, that they liked us to improvise, so most of the show was improvised, and it just it was a real dream. I still a part of me still hopes they could somehow bring it back, you know, like the comeback came back 10 years mm. later, so you never know. Well, and Michelle was such an honest, such a real character, and, and, I, and I have to tell you this, is I, I work with young actors, and, and I've used you as an example before uh, of the ultimate actor, because I never see you acting. You embody your characters so much. Oh, thank you. That's honestly the nicest thing I could hear about my work. Thank you for saying that. Uh, you've also worked with another friend of our show, uh, Joe Swanberg, on Digging for Fire, which was a wonderful independent film. Yeah, that was a really fun one. And I did another movie with him called Happy Christmas, which was uh, so much fun. Um, yeah, I I really like Joe. He, that's another, I mean, that's much more improvised than the Duplass brothers, but it's all, it's kind of in the same world. I love working that way. We're talking with Melody Linsky on Downtown. Uh, let's talk about your long-running role in Two and a Half Men. What was that experience like for you? It's funny because it was, uh, you know, I was just sort of recurring on the show, so I'd come and go, but it was 13 years of my life. But it's strange um, to have a place that you kind of drop in on every once in a while for such a long period of time. I think I still, somewhere in my mind, I feel like it's still going. <laughs> and I could be called in. <laughs> 
um, it's, it's hard to get used to the fact that it's not really on anymore because, you know, sometimes I do one episode in the whole season. But it was a really, um, for me, I just, I did the first episode that I ever did of it because I was curious about a sitcom. I was like, what's that experience like? And that aspect of it was really incredible because people became such fans of the show and then they'd get to come to a taping and the reactions you would get because people loved and knew the characters. It was so, there's kind of nothing like it. It was very intense and, and interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about it's a different few. from anything else I've ever done. Oh, well, I bet. I want to talk about a few of your films as well. Uh, one of my favorites of the last decade or so is The Wonderful Up in the Air. Uh, is it true that you hid your New Zealand accent from Jason Reitman? Yeah, I guess the casting director, um, did that he doesn't like to cast people who are not doing their own accent. And I have a very, I find it very easy to do an American accent when I'm acting, but as myself, like a lot of actors would just have an American accent on all the time because it's easier than switching in and out, but I feel very inauthentic if I'm talking as myself. Even when I'm getting notes from a director, I'll talk in my own accent. It's just a weird thing in my brain where... It just feels strange. So I got the advice to not do my New Zealand accent in front of him in case he got scared off and just to talk to him in an American accent. But then that meant I couldn't talk. (laughs) (laughs) So like I was lying. So I did the American accent when I did the audition and then he gave me a couple of notes and I just silently nodded. (laughs) I don't know what he thought of me. (laughs) It's been crazy. I I don't know. He gave me the part. So. I loved your work as well, and, and a great little movie with Paul Giamatti called Win Win. Oh, I'm so happy you saw that. Not a lot of people saw that, so that's really nice. Thanks. And another movie I, I want to mention, because uh, you were just incredible, and it was such a powerful performance, and, and you had the responsibility of carrying the film. Uh, what was it like working on Hello, I Must Be Going? You really... <laughs> this is the greatest interview ever. You're just naming all my favorites. Um, I... That honestly is maybe the most special experience I've ever had. I didn't, I'm not one of those actors who looks to see how many scenes they have or anything like that. I just, I had a sense that the character was in a lot of the film, but it was only when we were shooting that I realized there was not a scene that I wasn't in. (laughs) So I kept kind of waiting to have a break and then I was like, hang on a minute, I think I'm in every scene in this movie. So it was quite a lot. But, um, oh gosh, Blythe Danner played my mother Mm. and the amazing Chris Abbott was my younger love interest. And it just was such a special time. And I think the movie is so, so special and it kind of changed my life in a lot of ways. So that's the the thing that got me, um, to get in this. So, hello, I must be going. And yeah. What do you look for in scripts? Because, uh, I, your taste must be the same as mine because I love so many of the choices you've made and they're such wonderful films. What do you look for in a character or in a script? It just needs to feel real to me on some level. It just needs to resonate in a way that feels uh, human and feels authentic. And I, I like things that talk about things in a way that I haven't seen before that feel that feel kind of unexpected. Um, it just has to resonate with me on some level. I've read a lot of wonderful scripts that I just don't feel that same connection to and I don't quite know why but um, I, I'll only do things that kind of speak to me 
into an alley in some way. Now, I have a four-year-old, so uh, in our house, at least to my son, your voice is most recognizable for your work on Jake and the Neverland Pirates and Summer Camp Island. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's cute. Oh, <laughs> four-year-old. Yeah, it's so fun doing doing animated stuff. I really love it. Let's go back to the beginning, Melanie, and how uh, how did uh, you find Peter Jackson, or how did Peter Jackson find you to get this whole thing started? Um, well, I was at high school in New Plymouth, New Zealand, which is out on the West Coast, and uh, some people came to the school casting a movie, and I would write plays and put plays on, and I did a lot of local theater, and um, I, you know, I heard about it, and I decided to go and audition, and it was just a sort of improvised audition because they didn't want to tell anyone who was making the movie or what the script was about. It was all very top secret. And then I got another audition where they flew me to meet with Peter Jackson, and they had already cast Kate Winslet in the movie. And so before my second audition, Peter sort of sat me down and said, you know, we have this professional actress from England. She's been doing television and commercials since she was 12 years old. She's very seasoned, and I'm going to show you her audition tape so you get a sense of the level that we need you to be at. And I said, all right. And then I was shown Kate Winslet's audition tape, which is just, like, cruel, really. I mean, she's (laughs) one of our greatest actresses. Even though she was only 17 at the time, it's pretty intimidating. And I was like, okay, um, (laughs) then give it a go, I guess. I'll see if I can get there. And, you know, thankfully, they gave me the part, which was just kind of one of the luckiest, maybe the luckiest thing that's ever happened to me. It was amazing. Well, it started a wonderful career that is still going strong. Uh, Melanie Linsky appears as Molly Strand in Castle Rock, and uh, if it's... What we've seen so far has been terrific. We love it. And again, to me, it's like everything you do, uh, it's filled with great honesty and truth. Uh, I think you're, you're one of the best actors we have in the business right now, and it's a delight for us to get to talk with you. Thank you. It was so wonderful to talk with you. Thank you for taking the time. That's Melanie Linsky here on Downtown, the podcast. We'll come back with author John Connolly. After this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Five years ago, a couple of friends got together to create balanced beers that pay respect to the rich German tradition of brewing, layered with the nuance and eccentricity of modern brewing. And Nice Brewing Company was born, G-N-E-I-S-S. Based in Limerick, Maine, right in the foothills of the White Mountains, Dustin and Tim combine their love of beer, science, and their German heritage for truly unique brews. Whether it's the nice Weiss, the Sun and Shine, their Stouts, Porters, IPAs, any of the seasonal offerings, you'll love what they've got brewing at Nice. Ask for beers from Nice at your favorite restaurant or bar, and now look for Nice cans wherever you buy quality beer. It's Nice Beer, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. Work hard, play hard, be nice. Hello. How are you? 
The uh, telephone line plays a key role in the latest novel from friend of downtown, John Connolly. It's also the latest in the Charlie Parker series and takes place right here in Maine, including right up the road from our Bangor studios. The book is entitled The Woman in the Woods, and we had a chance to catch up with John Connolly from his home in Dublin. Why is it that you've chosen Maine for the setting of so many of these books? Well, I, I used to work in the state. I, I was briefly employed as the world's worst waiter by the Black Point Inn out in Scarborough. <laughs> and um, I, I, when I came to begin writing the books, I wanted to give Parker uh, an affection for a place that I had an affection for because I'd grown to like Maine an awful lot. I'd come back uh, repeatedly. And, um, and also, it wasn't really colonized by crime writers in the same way that somewhere like New York or Boston or uh, New Orleans was was was, was colonized. It, it seemed like kind of virgin territory in a way. It was a place that I could use um, in a slightly different way. I thought I had these fantastic, this gorgeous landscape, these wonderful changes of scenery, and in mystery fiction, landscape is is very important. You know, we tend to associate detectives with the, with places they move through. So. You know, we associate Raymond Chandler, uh, Philip Marlowe with Los Angeles, or, you know, um, Spencer with Boston. And so if you can find a landscape that nobody else has taken and try to make it your own and mythologize it, that, that's quite unusual. That's quite an opportunity to have. Well, and you've certainly done that in this new book uh, with the area just to, to the north of us uh, up in Dover, where the body of a woman is found in the woods... But then things take a decidedly different turn and go in all kinds of different directions uh, from from a detective story to a thriller and touches of the supernatural as well. Yeah, I've always liked mixing the genres in that way. Um, You know, most writers write what they read, and I was brought up reading um, mystery fiction, but also I read ghost stories. And they're very much part of my upbringing. You know, I'm I'm Irish, and I, I grew up in Dublin, and we were always very comfortable with mythology and gothic stories. I didn't see anything wrong with mixing them. It wasn't really done very much in, in the genre when I started. Um, uh, but I, I was very comfortable with it. And so it, it has a kind of slightly different element to it, I think. The idea that, um, you know, you, people aren't evil. People do things, bad deeds. They do things because they're selfish or they're angry or they're in love or they're frightened and, and they act out and sometimes they'll do awful things. But most people aren't are evil. Yeah, very, very, very occasionally we'll encounter a situation where we just think, my goodness, how, how can somebody do that? How can, how can they, how can they seem to leave their humanity entirely behind? And I suppose the Parker books argued that on those occasions, maybe people draw from a deeper, older well. Maybe there's something kind of outside ourselves. And that's the force that we draw on. So I've always been interested in speculating on those kind of levels of evil from the kind of, borderline, general, selfish, angry stuff to, to something much, much odder and darker. Well, and, and in this book, uh, well, an object, one in particular, takes on a, a life of its own. And uh, I don't want to give too much away in the story, but I wanted to join in burying that the children's toy phone. Yeah, that's, it, 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 it's, you know, you're always looking for... It's, it's not really terrifying when, you know, some, well, maybe it probably would be if some kind of creepy monster suddenly jumped out, you know, when you're when you're walking through some fantasy land. What What's really strange is when something that is so, we're so comfortable with, that seems so uh, unthreatening, suddenly becomes a source of danger and disquiet to us. And so, yeah, what happens in the book is that, uh, that a woman's body is found, as you say, but it's clear that she gave birth shortly before she died, and yet there's no sign of a child. Um, and so Parker is asked to try and find this child as a service to, to this dead woman. 
And, and in, in, a, in a house near the edge of the woods, a, a child's toy phone begins to ring. And when he picks it up, he hears a woman's voice on the end of the line. And the woman asks him, what, what do they name you? Um, and it's clear that that something has found a way to communicate with them. And I found a lovely quiet quote from J.M. Barry, who was the creator of Peter Pan. And he said the only ghosts he thought existed, really existed, were the ghosts of young mothers come to check on their children. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a fantastic idea, you know. And actually, I came across that quote, and, you know, I was halfway through writing the book, and I thought, wow, there's somebody thinking along exactly the same lines that I was. Well, it it works very powerfully in the book. We're talking with John Connolly. His newest is The Woman in the Woods. And I finished the book last night in bed, and it was great. I loved it, even though, I don't know, it was about almost 500 pages, but it was such a quick read because they couldn't put it down. But we had had kind of a windy, rainy night, and and I had a, a window partially open, and it was rattling the curtains and the blinds, and at one point, I, I may have taken your name in vain. I was convinced I heard scratching on the windows, and I thought, it's Karis. Oh, no. Oh, that's fantastic. That's lovely. There's something lovely about un- unsettling people. It's very easy to kind of shock people, and it's, it's quite easy to, to, to gross them out. But to unsettle them is very, very different. I had an experience very similar to that. I brought a book called um, Dark Matter Away with me to my house. I have a house in Portland, and I often come over in winter to write. And I was reading this book as I'd been sent in advance copy, and it's a ghost story set in the in in the in the Arctic, in the depths of winter when there's no light at all. And I remember sitting in my house in Portland in the dead of night reading it and thinking, you know, I think I'll just leave this one until the morning. You know, <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm not that I'm frightened or anything, you know, but maybe I'm just a little bit tired. You know? <laughs> so it's lovely that a book, and actually a book can have that effect. It's often much more than a film does. In a film, all the decisions are made for us. Somebody has decided what we're going to see and when we're going to see it and what it's going to look like. But books have a way, a very insidious way of creeping into your imagination. They've a, they're, they're much capable of being much more unsettling than a film. Uh, also, your book offers uh, another way to experience the sensations because uh, you've got a soundtrack that goes with it available as well. How did that idea come to you? Well, for some of the earlier books, I had often licensed songs um, that meant something to me, either they were lyrically or thematically suited to the books. And we I'd often give them away at readings. So when people came to Longfellow or a band out of the mall, uh, in Portland, you know, we would give them one of these CDs as a thank you for coming along. But then a young Irish composer came to me and he had actually composed a whole suite of music around the books, around the stories. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting thing to have done. And so if you buy The Woman in the Woods, there's a page at the back that allows you to, to you know, enter a website and download the soundtrack for free. It's a little extra thing to give to people. Um, because, you know, I think people who read are interested in other culturally, are culturally open to other things as well. They go to the movies, maybe they go to the theater, they, they listen to music. And so it's quite nice to combine those two interests for people and to see one form of creativity reflecting on another, I think. Now, based on the way this book ends, will the next book take place in the UK? <laughs> That's a very astute question. And yeah, the next book ranges, uh, it'll be, I'll be, I'll have been publishing for 20 years next year. This will be my 20th year in publishing. And, and I wanted to do something kind of special to wrap up a whole sequence of the Park novels. And so it's a, a big long novel that ranges from the Mexican border to, to the, the Netherlands and finally to England. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite a different book. Begins in Maine and finishes somewhere very different indeed. I'm in the middle of writing it at the moment, actually. It's sitting on my computer in front of me as I'm talking to you. 
Now, this is the 16th book in the Parker series. Has there been talk uh, somewhere down the road of this ever becoming a television series? Yeah, it's funny you should ask. You know, five or six years ago or 10 years ago, someone would have said, well, is, is there any talk about ever becoming a film? And it's interesting to see how far we've come and how much we've changed and that now television seems to be the medium for, for books and series because mm. it allows so much scope. So, yeah, it has been. It's it's under option, but, you know, I haven't put a deposit on it yet. yet. Well, I get when you come along and play with the remote control, okay? I like that a lot. Now, uh, one of our guys here at the station who is uh, who's a very big fan of your work wanted to know, do they ever let you 10 bar at the Great Lost Bear? No, you know, they've, they've never allowed me to do that. And, and I also feel I should be getting, like, a nickel on every beer sold there. Well, yes. I think Dave Evans is really, I, I think I, I think I'm getting the, the thin end of the wedge. But he said, no, I've never been able to go there. They're always really kind when I go there. And I, um, and it's quite lovely. It's I, I it's kind of a home away from home. I've, I've gone writing there, or I meet friends there. So, yeah, Dave was right. There's a lovely, I was to tell you, because when I, when I, I was quite nervous about using a real bar. I'm very careful about asking people if I can use their premises. So I remember saying to Dave Evans, you know, uh, the owner of the bear, would it be okay if I if I said uh, the book, a book or some of the stories in the bar? And he said, sure, that's fine. And I said, look, I won't kill anybody. And he said, you can kill anyone you want and start with the chefs. And I thought, that was <laughs> just a brilliant line. <laughs> so he's been very, very understanding. Uh, now, you also, uh, in the acknowledgments of the book, uh, thanked uh, our friend Steve McCausland from the Maine State Police and, and uh, Brian McDonough, who's retired from the police. Uh, what type of assistance did they provide for you in the writing? Uh, uh, they've been, uh, Brian has been, has been incredibly helpful. It, it just, you know, I, I kind of like getting details right. Um, and... Um, and I don't want somebody who knows about a subject picking up the book and saying, well, that, we'd never do that, or that's not how they, these things are done. So he was really helpful in terms of procedure. I would ask, you know, how would you approach this situation? And simply the, the basis of the book, how would you begin to deal with the body of a young woman in, in the woods? If you went looking for her child, if you thought the child might be buried, how would you go looking for that? And I think people are very open. Most people just want you to get stuff right, you know, and I think they appreciate it when you, when you make the effort. But th those two gentlemen have been, have been particularly kind to me, and I'm very, very grateful. So that's why I made sure to thank them at the back of the book. Well, the details are wonderful. Uh, the settings are, are fantastic and so close to home for us. Uh, it's, uh, it creates a, a romantic Portland that I, uh, I, even though we're only two hours away, I feel the need to head right down there right away and go into one of those, uh, one of those establishments and see if I can find angels somewhere there. It's wonderful. Yeah, just uh, tell Dave Evans we sent you, okay? Yeah, absolutely, the, we will and do the, And for the price of a beer, he will give you a beer. <laughs> well, that's a brilliant deal. We'll say, you know, John sent us. Great, what's the charge? Same as it is for everybody else. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. But it'll be poured with extra care and attention for you. And even better. Well, John, the book is an absolutely wonderful read. It's great to have you back on with us again. Uh, we're, I'm still recommending he to anybody who listens because I thought that was such a wonderful book as well. Oh, thank you. That's really, really kind of you. Thank you so much. John Connolly talking about his newest novel, The Woman in the Woods, here on Downtown, the podcast. Thanks to John, and of course, thanks to our other guest, the immensely talented actress Melanie Linsky of Castle Rock. And thanks to you for listening. Tell your friends, subscribe, spread the word about the podcast, and uh, checks in the mail. Make that happen. <laughs> Sure it is. Uh, that'll wrap it up for us this time. Join us next week for another Downtown the Podcast. For Carrie Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball.